We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Gitch. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Lundberg skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm joined right now by Michael J. Focci, the one and only MJF. What's going on, man? Well, Alex, I mean, we are coming off of, uh, I don't want to say maybe a, a return to reality, but that Portland game did not go well. Not much to really highlight over there other than um, it looked like Portland was going to set the three-point percentage record against us. And I don't know how, but TJ Leaf scored against us, Alex. How did that happen? Yeah, it's uh, the TJ Leaf revenge game. You're always talking about getting yep. a cold dish of revenge. Well, TJ Leaf heard about it. And uh, he was there to give it to the Pacers, rub some salt into the wound for that ugly loss for the Pacers. And just uh, a nice reality check when you're not playing a team that's tanking and you don't have two of your best players, three of them, actually, you're going to lose games. So pretty, pretty safe to say that. But anyway, Foch, we are recording this around six o'clock before the Pacers Nets game. So just wanted to touch briefly on that Blazers game. We got some other things to get into specifically the Kevin Pritchard one-on-one with Bob Kravitz in the athletic, a lot of good stuff there, but just going back to this Portland game, I mean, you know, the only thing that I think could have helped the Pacers with uh, this game is if somebody had just like cut off Anthony Simon's arm because the dude was like, what was it? Nine for nine from three. Yeah. He started nine for nine, ended up finishing. uh, I think it was nine of 10, but I mean, come on, the damage was already done by there. Nine of nine. I mean, obviously that's, that's gotta be like a career game for him. I mean, he had 27 points in 24 minutes. The guy was a plus 42. (laughs) However you look at it, it's ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know. It looked like at one point it could have been a 50-point L. Look, look, we we talked about this earlier. 
the wins that the Pacers had been getting, it didn't feel like real wins. It felt like you were beating down on, on teams and like exhibition games. And Portland, a team that was massively struggling, absolutely ran Indiana out of the building. And Alex, unfortunately, it clinched that the Pacers will not have a winning season at home after 31 straight years. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. I don't think people realize that. I think Scott Agnes had a pretty funny tweet about that, saying Bjorken was in middle school and Justin <laughs> Holiday was a newborn when the last time the Pacers had a wow. losing record at home. So, yeah, and that kind of goes into question here because I had a couple things I wanted to say there. You brought up uh, taking an L, you know, and so everybody, when they see an L, they think of loss. When they see a W, they think of win. Right now, I'm changing that. Whenever I see a Pacers W, I think, whatever. When I see an L, I think lottery. So hey, it's uh, it's how I'm how I'm viewing the rest of the season. Obviously, they're going to make the play-in game. But I got to ask you this, because they are currently a couple games above the Washington Wizards for the ninth seed, and they're not too far back from the eighth seed. But would you feel more comfortable about the Pacers playing Washington in Washington, or would you feel more comfortable with them playing at Bankers Life Fieldhouse? Oh, that is really tough because for, for some reason, I mean, we've talked about it. It makes no sense, but the Pacers are one of the best road teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. But just 11 and 18 at home, I mean, you can't feel good about that. I Like we mentioned last episode, I don't feel good playing pretty much anybody right now. But I guess given the situation, if the Pacers are better on the road, it seems like that would, uh, I guess, be in their favor. Yeah, so here's what I would say. If they play on the road, they're going to have a worse record than Washington. Yeah. So if they're both eliminated from the from the play-in game, like if they beat each other, obviously that's going to happen, 9 versus 10. But if they lose to the loser of 7-8, then it goes based on record. So even if we had a worse record than Washington and we both ended up losing, you know, we would have the higher lottery pick. Now, if we were the 9th seed and Washington was the 10th seed and they beat us, but then they lost to the Hornets or whatever in the next game, then they would still fall below us, um, if, even though we were the higher seed. So that's kind of confusing, and I'm confusing myself talking about it. But I just – the worst record gets the better lottery pick if you don't make the playoffs. It's probably the easier way to say that. Yeah, but definitely. I uh, I just – I <laughs> I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about this game against Brooklyn tonight, and no Kyrie Irving, obviously. It's just, it's just interesting to kind of be a Pacer fan because – Quite frankly, I mean, they're just they're just not going to do anything in the playoffs, and it's like we're just sitting here on our hands for these next thirteen oh, yeah. games, eleven games, whatever it is yeah, now. Just like, 11. oh man, what's going to happen next? Like nobody knows, but I think they're going to make the playing game, lose out in the playing game, and we'll be watching from uh, we'll be watching the playoffs from home this year. But that's not the worst case scenario, in my opinion. It really isn't. I mean, yeah, look, like you mentioned before, no Kyrie Irving, no James Harden, still doesn't make you feel any better about the game because the Pacers are without a ton of players themselves. Yeah. I mean, we struggled against the Nets even when they didn't have you know Kevin Durant or they didn't have. Kyrie Irving so I'm not expecting a win uh just because of basically how things went against Portland felt like you know we hadn't played a real team in a while and that's what happened so for Brooklyn tonight that could be tough we mentioned the schedule gets easier in May there'll be those two crucial games against Washington which uh I think are going to be uh, very interesting that's going to give you a better feel like almost like a, a playoff preview but uh you know we got to get there first absolutely so I want to jump into some conversation here that Bob Kravitz had with um, Kevin Pritchard. And it was a really interesting article. I thought, you know, I sent it over to you to read it so we could discuss it. 
and then I got really tied up and was unable to read all of it. But I know you read most of it. And I thought that we found some really good quotes in here from KP, but I wanted to kind of just get your thoughts, maybe kind of break it down a little bit on what you what you saw there and highlight some of the main points. Sure. So, I mean, hey, look, at this point, Pacer fans, they do not want to be lied to at all. We want to hear it like it is. And I felt like, unfortunately, I felt like Pritchard sugarcoated things a bit. A couple different times in that interview, he mentioned, we're only a few games out of fourth. Like, we're only a few games out of fourth. But in the end, what is that? Is that is that a moral victory? Because the Pacers have an opportunity right now to miss the playoffs, but still be only four games out of fourth. You know, that's how tight the East is, that we don't want these pat on the back, the back victories. I mean, obviously, it has been a challenging year. You know, Pritchard said this is probably the most challenging year of his career, and I believe that. But unfortunately, I do think that that is the case for everybody in the league. It's, it's, it's been a very different season than anything that we'll ever see before. But the science kind of pointed when pressed against it about what we think that, you know, Kevin might do in the off season, he deflected a good amount saying, I'm not really sure, you know, we didn't really get to see this team together. And unfortunately the last few years have been like that. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's some good things. I know you sent me over some of the highlights that you had come up with so I don't want to steal your thunder with some of the stuff you pulled out here but it, it is kind of funny because like I said last week I was on that thunder podcast talking about the Pacers thunder mm-hmm. game and they were one of the fans actually mentioned they're like it was nice to have an, as someone from Indiana on their perspective but it also makes me realize how thankful I am for the thunder ownership because they're willing to allow the thunder to tank to get better and you said it perfectly in this little note here that Herb Simon Uh, stated the importance to win each and every game that fans attend. So clearly it's winning above draft picks. And I think fans this year, like it's such a limited capacity, like, okay, so who cares? Like (laughs) if you, if you have two or 3000 fans in your arena watching this Pacers team at this point in the season, that means they're diehards. I don't think you have to worry about them losing a game, no offense, but it's just where I'm at. Like, I'm not going to spend money to go watch this team play this year. Sorry. I'm just not. I mean, I already pay enough for freaking AT&T TV to watch them regularly because they're not in any other streaming service. You have to have cable or AT&T TV. So I already spend enough money on that per month to watch them. I'm not going to go waste money on tickets, especially without three of their top five, six players. So it's just like, get a grip, you know, like I think you have to just kind of step back and look at everything here, but I'm curious, Fachi. I know that Bob Kravitz did ask quite a few questions about, how he how did Pritchard feel about Bjorkren and the year they've had? So do you want to highlight that for us? Sure. You know, at first in the beginning, I felt like it was kind of a little bit, you know, deflecting of, of any type of criticism of Bjorkren. You know, there wasn't really a, like a telling it like it is. But basically, he acknowledged that he really wanted the team to get back to the defense that they were playing before, the grinding it out. And when, you know, pressed about it, if they regretted firing Nate McMillan, you know, Pritchard, I guess what he had to do is, you know, he said he does not regret firing Nate McMillan, and I fully get that, but there was no criticism of Nate Bjorkman in that interview, and, you know, that's you know, protecting his guy, protecting his hire. I mean, he's going to be, we've talked about, he will be attached to this hire of Nate Bjorkman. So I didn't think that there was any anything, you know, that could have been nitpicking him. I would have liked to have seen that a little bit more, kind of telling it like it is, but uh, unfortunately we didn't really get that. Yeah, and I I mean, unfortunately, you're not. I mean, Larry Bird was probably the most oh, yeah. uh, 
forthcoming person as yeah. far as how he felt. And if he didn't like questions, he would just say, I'm not going to answer that. That's not my decision. Like I went back and watched when they let Vogel go and you could hear it in his voice where he almost seemed to have a little bit of doubt about not bringing Frank Vogel back. And I thought mm -hmm. listening to that, it kind of gave me some perspective because I mean, Kevin Pritchard was there for the whole ride. I mean, he's been yep. there since 2012. So Pritchard's been here for almost 10 years now. He knows how Herb Simon and that whole, you know, ownership rolls with things and he's embraced it. Obviously he's done a good job at the team, but I will say this, you're not going to hear anybody say, Oh, we should have not fired our former coach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that would have been but, a bad look. Yeah, it would have. And, 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 you know, I'm sure, I'm sure if Larry Bird was the head or the, the president still or whatever, he probably would have said something along the lines of like, yeah, we missed some of the aspects of what they brought to the team, but I think that we're headed in a good direction with, with, with new Nate or whatever he'd call them. So I just, I sit back and I, and I think to myself, uh, was Nate Bjorken a good hire? I, th I think this is the hardest year to tell. And I think Pritchard was kind of highlighting that with just talking about how weird it is. And it's been more of a business type of season than it has been a basketball type of season, which is understandable. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, I don't want to, you know, give them an, a, a pass, I should say, yeah, for exactly. this awful production this season. Because quite frankly, they thought, oh, we're going to overhaul the entire coaching staff. And we're not going to change the roster. It's the coaching staff that's holding us back. When quite when, honestly, to me, Flash, I think that the former coaching staff got the most out of the talent that's on this current roster, and, I, and that's why I think they have to make changes. I completely agree that they squeezed every player to the max of their ability, and the Pacers became a team that you know consistently. You know, it sounds rough to say, but they overperformed year after year, and even despite the injuries, that they, they made it work. And now you finally hit that point where it's like, hey, this isn't like a team of a lot of young guys that are blossoming into, you know, these aren't like top five draft picks that are continuing to grow that, you know, you're expecting these massive sophomore, you know, jumps and, and junior jumps. No, this is this is a team that right now, if you don't make a change, it's not going to get much better. I think you'd max out at maybe about the sixth seed. And we've, we've seen this for the last few years. This team has been stuck in the mud at four to six. That's where they've been. And I think that that's where they'll continue to be uh, unless you really shake things up. And, yeah. and it, the sad thing is, is maybe it wouldn't even be six. Maybe it would be like, you know, seven or something like that. But either way, you're not going to, you're not going to jump the Milwaukee's, the Brooklyn's, even the Phillies right now, that, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and I want to say this just to give credits where credit's due. I think Tony E said this today on his podcast. Whenever the Pacers have had these kind of rough seasons, after having pretty successful ones, there's always been pretty significant changes to the roster. Now, I, I, I need to go back and kind of dig that up, and I don't know if Tony's going to do that, so I don't want to steal his work if he's working on that. But I, I just want to say, like, if you go back and look, like, I definitely remember – the year after Paul George went down with a leg injury, we, we got rid of West Hibbert, traded George Hill, I think, a couple of years later. I mean, there were some pretty massive changes, and I think that that's kind of what will happen, especially with a higher draft pick. You just you just never know because it's probably going to be in that same range that we drafted Miles, around 11, Yep. Uh, you know, Paul George 10. So to be in that range, it just seems like a good time to maybe make an upgrade, see what you can do. And it's really funny because a lot of people keep arguing which center they're going to trade. Um, but I, I think this part that Kevin Pritchard did say, I tweeted this out today. So if you already saw my tweet, I'm sorry. But Bob Kravitz, Bob Kravitz asked, what have you learned about some of the young guys who have
been thrust into bigger roles this season due to all the injuries to the frontline guys. And he went out of his way and said, one of the things we really like is Goga Batadze. Goga is coming in a big way, and we have huge expectations for him. He's really turned it around. He's made really nice strides in the weight room as well. So to me, like, I know that he talked about Sumner and Brissett and that, but looking at the centers, if he is saying that much about Goga and kind of sugarcoating the double big lineup, that to me kind of says, hey, this is why they're willing to trade one of them. And based off of what they've done and what they've shown, it appears that they're more than likely going to trade Miles. And Goga could be somebody that we see uh, getting a bigger role next season. Yeah, the compliment to Goga in there definitely felt like uh, there is people internally that, A, they are invested in that draft pick. I mean, the Pacers didn't have a draft pick last year. You took Goga, and they they thought he was, you know, the rumors at the time was this guy is NBA ready. And obviously he wasn't, that's fine. But he has taken that step forward. And I don't think that you would have complimented him too much unless other people are in agreement that there's a plan for him moving forward to have a bigger role. And that can only be done if one of these centers is moved. There is no other way around it. You cannot play three centers quality minutes and have them all be happy and developing and playing winning basketball. It just does not happen. So I I think that this is finally the time where, hey, while we, we have not seen this full core together, we have seen enough of Domas and Miles together to know this isn't this isn't the difference of winning a championship or not. No, it's not. And, I, and I, honestly, you know, I don't think for me, people that kind of say Domas is a ball hog, Domas thinks he's the best player on the team. Like, I don't really think that. I, I just feel like Domas really enjoys being a facilitator, being kind of the hub of the offense, but not being the go-to scorer because if he was a go-to scorer, I think he would put up more than, you know, some of his most efficient night, most efficient nights when he puts up like 11 to 15 shots. Like that's really not that many for how many minutes he's playing and how often he's touching the basketball. Not to consider, you know, not mentioning how much uh, he impacts the team by racking up the assist. You know, so I, I think that if you could try to trade Turner and get something back that fits the roster a little bit better, I think that would make a ton of sense. But I will say this. Um, People are kind of undervaluing, as far as Pacer fans go, who DeMontis Sabonis is because they've grown frustrated with him this season. And I think a lot of that goes into, one, being put into two terrible positions on both offense and defense. You know, sometimes the offense, I feel like they're trying to force him to be, like, the number one guy when that's not really his role. And number two, they're asking him to play completely out of position on defense, which he's not a terrific defender. Don't get me wrong. I'm not defending that. But I will say they have – really, you know, given Domas a lot of responsibility and put him in a lot of tough situations this year. And it's easier for fans to be upset where, where Turner has kind of just been put into positions to succeed, you know, succeed. There's not really a lot of room for error. It's like, Hey, score when you get the ball every once in a while, block everything at the rim. That's what you're great at. They're not saying, Hey, go do this. Hey, go do that. And if he was doing that in a larger, on a larger scale, how would that impact how fans feel about him? So I think, They've kind of not catered, but they've given Domas a bigger workload and they've kind of allowed Turner to thrive in the spots he has. Not saying that both of them aren't valuable, but I'm just saying to sit here and say that Domas is awful, he's got to go, he's not going to fit the system. I think that's wrong. And I think that we need to just kind of reevaluate how we feel about him and, and just think about some of the things they've asked him to do this year. 
They have definitely, without a doubt, asked him to do way too much. Yeah. At, at times, absolutely shoulder the load, especially before Levert came back and following, you know, the Oladipo trade. But when you when you brought up about people thinking he's selfish and all this, guys, he was the first one to sacrifice shots. I mean, you can look at it. If you're going through his numbers, right when Karis Levert, you know, comes back, there is a major drop-off in Domas's shots per game. I mean, he really, there's a lot of games you're looking at 10 shots per game, 12 shots per game. In, in the month of March, he averaged just under 13 shots per game, when in February it was over 16. So you're talking about three different shots, you know, per game that, I know that might not sound like a lot, but, you know, we, we've seen his numbers to take a hit across the board because he sacrificed. And in the end, you know, unfortunately, it hasn't really translated to winning because the Pacers have other issues. But I, I do think that we've asked him to do too much this year. Miles has been in a role where defensively, obviously, he makes a major impact. Offensively, you know, we've talked about it. He's most of the times the fourth, fifth option offensively, and, and I think that he's been able to thrive in that role at times. But if he hasn't thrived, you know, we haven't really got on his case because it, it's it's not the expectations is not go out there and get us twenty while blocking four to five shots a game. No, that that's not what we're asking him to do. So. Domas has been put in an unfair situation. I think that losing kind of makes you lose track of the value of some of these top guys, but I can promise you where Domas goes, he's going to excel. And with Miles, I think it's going to be the same thing. These are two good guys. I don't think that we're properly putting them both in the, the best position to succeed. And that's hard to do with two centers. No one's really utilizing two centers to, to the max like this. So I just think this approach it, it's just hit its point. It doesn't work. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate because I know there's a lot of fans. Like, I, I'm a fan. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Of both these guys, I think both of them are good players, and it's hard, but I mean, I just kind of have to stick on one side versus the other. And if they do keep Turner and trades a bonus, like I'm fine. I'm totally fine with it if that's the route they want to go to just, you know, what I have heard from you know different podcasts that I've listened to and stuff like that, it, it just seems like people in Indiana that think Turner is going to get you more value back than Sabonis in the trade market. It's just not. It's not true. Uh, Turner might make more sense for what he brings to the table as far as being that big that can block shots and shoot threes. But there's just a lot of people that are covering other teams or that you know work for other teams that just aren't that high on him. It was interesting because I texted you this yesterday. I was listening mm-hmm. to the locker room app. And Keith Smith, friend of the show, comes on every Wednesday, answers questions, has people come on, talk to him. I love it. I think it's really cool. And I just casually threw out because he was talking about the Celtics and how bad they've been playing and the inconsistencies. I just said, do you think the Celtics regret not doing the Turner McDermott and a pick for Hayward trade? And basically he came back and said, well, that trade was never going to happen because Hayward wasn't going to allow it to happen because he was already going to Charlotte, which I don't really know how true that is yeah, it doesn't really that. it doesn't really seem like it's that true and number two um what was frustrating is he said even if that trade had gone down i don't think it makes the celtics any better i think the celtics would be at the same spot they're in now 
if they had Turner and McDermott compared to, um, you know, the trade exception, which turned into Evan Fournier, which turned into pretty much nothing so far. Exactly. And I was just kind of perplexed by that. I'm like, okay, even if you don't think that Turner is that great of a player to say that he would not impact your center position, he basically said that it's given time Lord, AKA Robert Williams, the (sighs) opportunity to thrive in that center position said that, you know, Turner would not be an answer for Embiid. Well, you think Tristan Thompson is? Okay, that doesn't make any sense. No one's an answer for Embiid. No. So, to me, I was just sitting there, and I'm just like, okay, this is the Boston narrative, trying to protect, you know, Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge and that whole group, not trying to make anybody mad. All I was saying, like, legitimately, like, do they not think they'd be better? And then what was so funny is someone was like, um, they were talking about trade scenarios of trying to get off Kemba's contract, And they were like, I wonder, you know, if there's any team that would take on that contract. And all I said back is, hey, Kimba and uh, I forget what other player it would be. Their salary matches up with, um, no, I think, yeah, it was Tristan Thompson and Kimba. Their salary matches up with Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams. And I just did it kind of trying to be a troll, you know, because they were hating on Turner. And And they replied back via, Keith replied back to what I had said. And said, no, I don't think the Celtics want a Steven Adams kind of center. He doesn't fit their need. They need a more athletic center that can block shots and choose the three well. <laughs> oh, my God. So everything they just said was yeah. describing Turner. It's just yeah. like. 100%. Oh, oh man. Flash. That's just trying to protect Ainge and just say, well, we didn't do that deal because we didn't want to do that deal. They didn't like, like Turner. Yeah, it's like, oh, come on. You would do that deal over it. There is no way that the Celtics envision Evan Fournier being that trade exception at the end of the year and what he's brought to the table. So, yeah. you know, they'll refuse to admit it. We know Boston regrets doing that, um, regrets passing on Turner and McDermott and potentially a first-round pick. Yeah, especially where the paces are right now. Like, you want to tell me, like, Warren's injury was still would have happened. Yeah. Um, Hayward, would he have gotten hurt sometime in the season? Maybe with Sabonis' back gone out, possibly. So you're talking about a team that still could have not made the playoffs and they'd have a lottery pick again. Like, come on. They, I mean, it might have had to have been a pick for next year because I don't think they could have traded this year's pick. But still, to I, me, it's just so stupid. I can like, see it now. I, everyone would be like, I, Ainge does it again. I mean, he he got a lotto pick. You know, he <laughs> – he, he traded Hayward, who wasn't even going to resign, and they, they would they would paint it in this picture for him to be this mastermind. When in the end, I mean, you're really looking at Evan Fournier was was his big plan. So you know, hey, they, they messed up. They'll never admit it. I'm happy that in the end, you know, it didn't go down like that. I mean, who knows? At, right now, I, we'll wait and see what happens because you know, if McDermott leaves, you don't get anything. In the end, like Hayward was having a good year. It's there's always going to be a what if, and we'll always talk about that. But what we can agree on is that Boston messed up. Yeah, they did. And I, I just get so frustrated when they act like uh, Turner is so awful. It's like, okay, have you seen your center position? Like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. <laughs> Turner is way better than any center that you put out on the floor this year, including Time Lord, including Daniel Tice, including Tristan Thompson. Um, even even Cornette, the guy that got from Boston. I mean, come on now. It's just ridiculous. But anyway, Foch, as we kind of wrap up today's conversation on this, I'm going to come back after the show or after the game and do a little bit of a Nets recap to kind of make everything relevant. But any other thoughts on, on this article? Any other thoughts on the kind of the direction this team should head? Yeah, I, I felt like, well, it's always great to hear from Pritchard because, you know, we always want to know the state of the, you know, the state of the franchise. I thought what you mentioned, you know, the, the line about Herb Simon, I think was definitely an eye opener that this team 
will never be a team that tanks. They never will. As long as the Simons own the team, they're always going to try and do what they think is right by the fans and winning. And at, at times, unfortunately, with basketball being a business, unfortunately, there, there are some times where, you know, winning isn't the right thing to do. So, you know, like you mentioned, we're still continuing to be dragged along as this, as this goes on. I probably would have, you know, preferred Pritchard to be a little bit more brutally honest, but in the end, uh, I think that he, he stuck by his guys, you know, the, the people that he had in place, he, he supported. And uh, from there, you know, I, I would just say just the, the biggest, the biggest questions to be answered were not answered. We're going to have to wait and see because he kept saying, I want to see how this season unfolds. But Alex, the big question there, if all he wants to see is how the season unfolds, does winning one playoff game mean that we need to run it back because it's better than the last few years? Depends on who's out there. If the double bigs aren't and we do it with Sabonis only or Turner only, then what does he say? Does right. that give him enough a of a point. sample size? You know, because he, he did highlight that he hopes Turner will be back for the playing yeah. game but didn't really know. Kind yeah. of everything he kind of said was very vague. I mean, it was Bob Kravitz. I know Bob Kravitz has done several interviews with different people. I mean, he's been covering the Pacers and the Colts for multiple outlets for a while now, and he's not afraid to push. I mean, he even said, I he even said in one of the comments or one of the questions, like, This is how I feel, you know. Yeah, um, not afraid to tell him how he felt. And, and he ripped Larry Bird for letting Vogel go. I remember watching that on uh, in uh, WTHR channel 13 news here when he kind of ripped on him for basically just saying that Bird made a huge mistake and letting Frank Vogel go. So, yeah, I mean, he's not someone that's going to beat around the bush and he's going to try to get answers and he pushed him. And, you know, like we expect, Kevin Pritchard's been doing this for a very long time. <laughs> yep. He knows how to answer questions. More than happy to come on and talk about the team. But I do like that he said that it's been disappointing because yes. that to me, like there's little things in there that you can see. He's not like making a ton of excuses, but he's, you know, he's giving himself an out, trying to protect himself. Like yeah, same thing that happened with McMillan when he said, well, I didn't have Sabonis for the playoffs, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. you can make all the excuses you want. And I love that Kravitz brought up the injury history. Like how long can you use that as an excuse? Like it's just something's got to change. And to me, like the big thing with TJ Warren last year was the first time TJ Warren's been healthy the entire season for the most part. So it's a bit of an anomaly to from last year. I mean, what happened this year, him missing the whole season basically is kind of been more of the trajectory that TJ Warren has shown in his previous seasons. He's just a guy that's injury prone. So can you rely on him? Maybe for, you know, 60% of the season, but not the full 100%. Um, if he gives you like 85 or more then you're like running to the bank with it, but I'm just saying, he's a really good player. We've really missed him. There's no doubt about it. I think Pritchard highlighted that we've really missed TJ Warren, but at the same time, there's bigger issues than TJ Warren on this team. Now there really is TJ Warren, look really good player, but there's a big difference between, you know, missing a LeBron James, like in, in 2018 when the Lakers just didn't have it. And then he comes back and they win the championship and the difference between us missing TJ Warren and then he comes back and then we're like the sixth seed in the East, you know? So there, there's some things that we need to get straightened out outside of just TJ Warren's health. I know that in the article, it also mentioned, you know, Hey, yeah, we're de dealing with COVID. I get it. But here's the thing, Alex, we saw the other day by the numbers, the Pacers were actually the least affected team by COVID this season. So there are some, some excuses we do need to throw out the window. Um, you know, every team deals with injuries 
But the article mentioned the Pacers were 11th in terms of games lost to injury. Yeah, sure. That's a high number. But there are some other teams out there that, that are dealing with a ton of injuries that are making things worse. The Pacers at work, I mean. Uh, the, the Pacers, on the other hand, it just felt like a whole bunch of stop and go. I mean, we mentioned it. Outside of the first three games of the season, I don't think anyone's felt confident ever since. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's uh, it's just been a it's been a frustrating year for sure for Pacer fans. I'm sure for the players, for the front office, for ownership. It's just it's not been a pleasant year. And quite frankly, I'm just ready for the season to kind of wind <laughs> down, uh, enjoy the playoffs, and not have to be emotionally attached to what happens. I'm sure I'll pick some teams to root for. I'm already leaning toward rooting for the Knicks, which sounds weird for the East, and rooting for um, the Suns in the West. I'll probably I'll probably root for the Hawks a little bit just because of McMillan. And um, when push comes to shove, I, I think I'll probably have a little bit of a soft spot in my heart for Philadelphia, even though I'm not the biggest Philly fan, just because of Dan Burke, Popeye Jones, and George Hill now being there. I just, you know, there's some guys there that I like. And so – I just want to see former Pacers do well. I always root for former Pacers, except that they're on the Miami Heat. And uh, and I, in the West, I really don't like a ton of the teams out there. Just some, I mean, I like them, but I don't like root for them actively. So, I mean, the Suns are a cool story. I like Chris Paul a lot. And uh, that's where I'm at with them. But as far as the Pacers, you know, like I said, Ws equal whatever, Ls equal lottery. That's how I'm viewing it. And uh, it gets me excited <laughs> because that's what I want. Uh, I think 11 games left. It'd be great if they went like three and eight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be I really good. I mean, that then, would probably be ideal. You know, I, I think the Bulls, they're just, they're losing so many games that they, they just might not let us out of that playing spot. You know, oh, they they're might. not. Them and them and Toronto, <laughs> their schedule is way too hard. But Charlotte, like, Charlotte's making me nervous because they're like so inconsistent with their health and, you know, they're supposed to get LaMelo back, and they're supposed to get Gordon Hayward back soon, I think. If he's not already back, I can't keep up with everything. But it's just – I'm looking at the league here, Foch, because the league matters at this point. Um, we need New Orleans to win some games. Sacramento, we need them to win some games because they're only like three or four games worse than us. I think Sacramento has a tie on us right now. Um, I want to say we have the tie – well, the tiebreaker with us in New Orleans might be different because – we both went one and one against each other. So, yeah, I just, I'm just thinking here, like, not even the East teams, but the West teams that are like in that same range as us, like Golden State, San Antonio. We need all of them to lose. So, we're not around them. And so, hopefully, we can get in the top 10, top 11. I don't want to be like at 12, 13. I know. do not. I'm telling you, there's something about picking like, 13th 14th it's just like man I don't know by the numbers I know every now and then you'll have you know like a Kawhi Leonard or or Giannis going like 15th overall but it's it's so rare it's so rare I mean you you really if you want to really hit on a pick I feel like we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You obviously want to be in that top five, top ten for sure. After that, I mean, it is up in the air. And obviously, hey, the Pacers haven't been picking high for quite some time. So, sure, if we end up getting like the 11th overall pick, I'll still be excited. You know? Yeah, we could, we could, finish, we could finish 10 if New Orleans and Washington finish, uh, finish with a better record than us. Washington's only a game behind us, and New Orleans is only actually two games behind us in the win column. So, New Orleans plays the Warriors three different times in the next nine games. So it's like, okay. Um, but yeah, so that's where I'm looking at Foch, but all right, I'm going to take a quick uh, break here, come back. And uh, I was going to have someone on to recap the Nets game with me, but they said they had to do something tonight. So uh, it might just be me solo. If not, I'm going to try to get somebody on Twitter to join me and uh, we'll see if anybody wants to come on and talk about the Pacers Nets, but Fachi. We'll talk again next week. I'm not sure when because you're going out of town this weekend, but uh, hopefully we'll be talking about some uh, exciting. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Things. All right, well, I guess we can go ahead and get started here. So the Pacers lose tonight's game to the Brooklyn Nets, 130-113. to 113. Kevin Durant was unstoppable, 42 points, 16-24 from the field, 10 assists, 36 minutes. Just a monster. I mean, it was a, it was a brutal second quarter for the Pacers. I was just sitting there watching the game, and I just slowly saw their lead decrease, and then Second half, there was no defense played whatsoever in the third quarter. It was a combined 86 points for the Pacers and the Nets in the fourth quarter. Pacers got close a little bit, and then Steve Nash said, all right, KD, I got to put you back in here to close this out. And Malcolm Brogdon went down with an injury. Jakar Sampson got hit pretty good by Blake Griffin on the play, you know. And so it, the injuries just keep piling up for the Pacers, and it's just – it's so – it's so hard because you're you're looking at this team and you're thinking it's it's got potential once fully healthy, but this year is just not the year. And you know, I thought guys that were given a bigger opportunity have, have stepped up and played well. Edmund Sumner, another efficient night, six and nine from the field, sixteen points. Karis Levert had a nice, uh nice, nice game. Thirty six points, fourteen to twenty four shooting. Can't ask for more than that, but Brogdon just playing 12 minutes. I mean, if he's healthy, maybe the game goes a little bit differently, but quite frankly, this Pacers team, they're just riddled with injuries, and there's not much else to say about it. So as we continue to look at this Pacers team going forward, you know, if they're not fully healthy, it's going to be difficult for them to win games against teams that have better players that are healthier than them. But if they're playing bottom feeders that are trying to tank, then they might have a chance, and we'll see who comes back. I know Goga... Uh, Jeremy Lamb and, and Demonte Sabonis, Bjorkman acted like they could be back soon. Now, we really don't know because it feels like the Pacers do a very good job of keeping things in-house when it comes to 
their injuries and stuff like that. They don't really give you a ton of timetables for anything. Like I know we haven't heard much from Miles Turner besides the fact that he's out indefinitely. Kevin Pritchard did do a little bit of the conversation with Bob Kravitz on the athletics saying that, you know, if we get into the playoffs or the play-in game, like hopefully Turner's back. So he kind of said hopefully, but not (laughs) saying that he would be back. So yeah, that's eight players on the injury report. You know, I agree with you, AJ. It's time to pack it in. Just get these guys healthy. Unfortunately, like there's only like 10 games left in the season right now for the Pacers. And they have such a large lead over Chicago and Toronto. I think even if they lost the remaining 10 games on the schedule, they still would be in the playing game. Now that, you know, that's not ideal, but it is what it is. I just think that Chicago and, and Toronto, their schedules are a little bit too difficult to catch the Pacers and four games back with a 10 game uh, stretch here, just not enough time really to catch, you know, catch up with us. And we did talk about that in the first segment when me and Fachi were on before the game started. So I just, I just think this Pacers team, they've got to make some massive changes in the off season. We've talked about that. And, you know, I'm not even saying that you have to go out there and, and trade all of your key players, all your starters, you know, maybe make a couple moves with the starters, one or two at the most. Kind of bolster that bench up a little bit. I don't really know what else you can do. But quite frankly, I'm I'm sitting here watching these games, and I know AJ talked with me before the, before the uh, AJ Reese here with me on, on uh, Locker Room app. We were talking before you were chatting with me, saying you didn't even watch the game. You were watching the NFL drafts, and I'm sure several Pacer fans were in the same boat as you, even though you could have watched a Pacer game and the pick when it even came in for the for the Colts until like an hour and a half later because it's so long. Uh, that first round in the NFL draft. But regardless, when it's all said and done, this Pacers team, they just don't have any answers. And I want to give a shout-out to former Indiana Pacer, Alizé Johnson, who was just a monster tonight. 20 points, 21 rebounds off the bench. Played 32 minutes, 7 of 12 from the field. I think he'd look really good with this current Pacers makeup. Unfortunately, the Pacers gave up on him. And they kept Brian Bowen around instead. So I'm just like, okay, what are we doing? I mean, I think when you have a guy like Jalen McHugh on your roster, you keep him over an Alizé Johnson type player. That, to me, it's like we saw a lot of flashes from how good Alizé could be defensively, his rebounding abilities, and and short spurts when he played for the Pacers the last couple of seasons. Like, I never thought, oh, he's a, you know, a franchise changer or anything like that, but you get a guy like him, you know, a guy that's worked his way through the G League and, you know, just a second-round guy that's just trying to prove himself. The Pacers have to do a better job of hitting on guys like that. Now, we can look at Edmund Sumner, his success story. You know, O'Shea said obviously, he's a guy that the Pacers really had to sign by necessity because of all the injuries. Um, he's a guy that I really think could be a part of this, you know, long-term, you know, team for the next couple of years anyway at least. He had another decent game. He's a really solid rebounder. I mean, led the team in rebounding with just nine rebounds, though. So I like him. He's able to rebound for his position. 36 minutes, you know, that's a lot of time for him to be playing. But at this point, you're just depleted. What do you expect? So, yeah, I'm just I'm just disappointed the Pacers have missed out on some of their draft picks over the last couple of years. They've Aaron Holiday has really just – he's taken a dip. And there's times where you think he's starting to show something. Like tonight, I didn't think he played – all too bad. He had 12 points, five rebounds, three assists, three and nine from the field is not ideal, but he shot 40% from three. I mean, Aaron's got some spunk in him, but it's um, it's one of those things where I'm just, 
I just wish that he would have figured out a way to be more consistently involved in this whole entire system. And maybe it is part of the crazy COVID season, but yeah, Justin Holiday, you can just tell. I mean, oh six again tonight from three, just really struggling from there. You know, there's a couple of times where you feel like he's starting to get it back. And, you know, Justin is a guy that they played him way too much by necessity, <laughs> by starting him, and they had to do that. But I think when you're 31 years old, you, you've never really had to carry that heavy of a workload minute-wise to be thrust into that starting lineup and then, you know, go back to the bench. I mean, he's probably just tired. I really believe it. And these guys, they have to realize this is a long season. So it's it's one of those things where the Pacers are just, you know, I, I hate to keep repeating myself, but they're just a team that's kind of stuck in the mud. And as we continue to go forward and, and, and look at this team, with the long-term uh, picture involved, I think what you can really just say is there's a lot of a lot of potential to upgrade this roster this offseason. Now, it depends on what kind of moves you make. From what I believe, I think that for sure locks to stay more than likely are Brogdon and Levert, maybe Sabonis. I mean, I understand why a lot of people believe that we should trade Turner over Sabonis. I get that. I get that idea, but at the same time, I'm just not that sold yet on Nate Bjorkman. I, I think it would be silly to trade a guy that's been a two-time All-Star, someone that a lot of teams would say is the better player of the two, and do that because you think the coach, you know, the coach's system fits that player better. So, for me personally, I'm not saying that I don't like Miles Turner, that I think he's a bad player, or anything like that. I just think that, you know you have to do a better job of surrounding Sabonis with the right players. And he's, he's gotta, he's gotta find a way to not be utilized in, you know, in areas we talked about this earlier with Fodgy, so I'm being repetitive now, but they've got to do a better job of not putting Sabonis in situations that don't play to his strengths. And that is one thing they do with Turner so far this season. They have, made him a, you know, not a secondary option on offense. You know, it's kind of like a, whatever we get from you is great. And then they set him up to succeed on defense where they're asking Sabonis to go out there and guard these faster players and this and that. And, and it's just one of those things where Sabonis is being asked to do way more than he should be asked to do. Sabonis is not a number one option. He's probably a number two, number three option. Get him a true playmaker like Victor Oladipo's first season with the Pacers. If you can get anybody like that, like if LeVert can become that, then I think you can utilize Sabonis in a better situation. He doesn't need to be touching the ball every single time. He doesn't need to be trying to do post-ups, face-ups, all that kind of stuff. I don't feel like he's selfish. I think Mark Schindler said this earlier today on his locker room thing, but I, I really do believe, um, I really do believe that Sabonis is someone that makes more sense long-term with, with trying to run an efficient offense. I mean, you can go out and you can score 120-some points by just jacking a bunch of threes, but what happens when you're not hitting them? You need something that stabilizes that, and that's where Sabonis matters the most is playoff time. When the game slows down, Sabonis is that screen setter that can create the options for other guys to get open. Last year we saw in the bubble how difficult it was for Brogdon, Oladipo, Warren to get good looks. And a lot of that did not have to do with just Miami switching everything, but it was the Pacers' inability to create space for these guys. Turner set okay screens, but Sabonis sets 
monster screens and he rolls to the rim and he can be a threat there. He's not super athletic. I completely understand that, but that's where they have to improve is getting more athletic players to surround Sabonis and, and not make this Sabonis's team, but make Sabonis a secondary option similar to Turner, but maybe with a little bit more of an uptick in the offensive, uh, you know, um, the offensive production. So I uh, I see I see here AJ talking about this I yeah I, I I would agree you probably do get a better trade package if you did trade Sabonis over Turner and that's funny because a lot of teams don't value Domas or don't value Miles as much as Pacers fans think they would he does fit a lot of the you know the bill of modern center but a lot of teams from reports and stuff they just don't seem that high on him which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I think the problem there with you saying he doesn't fit the system, AJ, it, it might be true a little bit, but what I will say is I still do not believe in Nate Bjorkren's system yet until um, he gets other players around Sabonis. Like playing Sabonis in the Pascal Siakam was never ideal. So that's where I am with that. And as far as him being a true face of the franchise, I completely agree. He He should not be the face of the franchise, but he is right now because he's your only all-star on your team and he's a two-time all-star. So if you're, if you're trade Sabonis, I get the pros to that. And trust me, I, I have looked at both sides. I've been very adamant that I am okay with whatever decision they make. I've said that previously before I've said it on this podcast with Fachi in the first segment that you're going to hear. So, yeah, I mean, you're not going to beat teams like the Brooklyn Nets. You're not going to beat teams like Philadelphia, Milwaukee and the playoff series with this roster is currently constructed. So we can, Talk about it till we're blue in the face, but when it comes to, you know, finding diamonds in the rough, kind of like an O'Shea Bush said, you got to find more of those if you're the Pacers and have to get lucky on them. You know, too many times we see guys like Alizé Johnson come through the Pacers and slip out of their hands. Same thing happened with George, uh, George Niang, who's having a really solid season with the Utah Jazz. And it probably will not be the last because the Pacers have just not given up, but they don't provide the opportunity they really need to let these young guys succeed. And so we've seen Edmund Sumner get that opportunity and finally got it this year, but based off of injuries. I mean, that's what it really came down to. I mean, Jeremy Lamb, TJ Warren, McDermott went out for a little bit. Hey, and then Aaron Holiday was slumping. So you had to find something else, and he finally got his chance and look at him now. So that that's what it all comes down to. And then, of course, Aaron Holiday, a guy that was given an opportunity, just has not lived up to the expectations. Not sure what's going on there, but I love Aaron Holiday as a player. I think that he has a lot of potential, but it's just I don't think he's going to fit here long-term with the Pacers. So as I wrap this conversation up, I want to thank those that came by and, and listened for a few minutes while the draft was going on. No, it wasn't ideal timing, and I know I waited a little bit to start it before um, the game went or before after the game went live. I didn't go right into it, but um, – this Pacers team, they've got 10 games left. They've got some really crucial games coming up against Washington. I know they play Sacramento once, I believe. There's some teams that are in that same area as far as standing watching goes, not just for the East, but for the entire NBA. If the Pacers can lock into a top 10 pick, um, I think that's the best scenario for them. So I am I'm super excited about – this upcoming off season, I'm ready for this season to kind of wind down. Let us reset. Let us get healthy. Let us hopefully not have such a crazy COVID protocol type of year next year. I would really like to see them just 
feel like they can get back to normality somewhat. That was something that Kevin Pritchard really stressed when talking to Bob Kravitz in that article. Just the craziness of this season. He mentioned it a little bit when he came on with us and talked with me and Fachi, but yeah, it was it was just rough. But I really just want to see Warren fully healthy. I want to see you know them trade one of the bigs. I want to see them get a little bit more modern. I want to see them try to run this New Yorker system before they move on. But they got to get back to playing defense at a higher level. I think they've really, really, really missed on the defensive side of things this season. Last year, they, pretty much the last two decades, we've been known as a defensive juggernaut going back to the even in the 90s when they had Dick Carter. Like, that was the Pacers' MO. They were a defensive juggernaut. They moved on from Dan Burke, who was a part of that early to late 90s run team with the Pacers when they made the finals, Larry Bird head coach, that whole thing. Then they had Dan Burke for those 20 years in the, in the 21st century before letting him go. And now look at Philadelphia. They're a, they're a top two, top three team in the Eastern Conference. And that's because they have better players, number one, and they've got a new voice in Doc Rivers, but they've also got a really good defensive mind in Dan Burke. So, yeah, we, we miss Dan Burke. We miss, we miss um, Nate McMillan's defensive presence as well. And quite frankly, Nate Bjorkman has just got a lot of things that he's got to have to change. And that's okay. He's a rookie head coach on a COVID season. I'm not writing the guy off yet. I'm not firing A.B. Orkin, but I'm not like a ringing endorsement for, hey, I love this guy. No, I mean, I want to give him a fair chance before I write him off. I don't want to just, you know, knock him off because it's been a bad year. I think that the front office was very adamant in their search, so at least I can hang my hat on, hey, they did a lot of research on these guys. It took them a while to pick a coach, and they did. So I have to trust them to make the right decision, but at the same time, were they making a cheaper decision by hiring a new guy that was an assistant over a retread guy or a player, a former player? Like, I don't know that that's the case. Some people might argue that, but all in all, I just know this team has got to make some adjustments off season wise with the roster, with the coaching staff and with all the injuries, they've had a ton of injuries. I don't know if it's fluky. I don't know if it's the training staff. I don't know what it is, but they've got to do a better job of making sure these guys you know, stay healthy throughout the season. And I would rather them rest guys every other game or every three games or something like that than constantly, you know, playing them through injuries, trying to win games. Like, no, let's take care of our players' health first and then focus on the winning aspect of things. Because if a guy has to miss a game because of an injury, this gives somebody else on the bench who's not playing as much an opportunity to get some playing time. And you might end up taking an L every once in a while by arresting one of your key players, but their health at the end of the season is the most important, and it doesn't matter as much if they're healthy for game 32 against the Charlotte Hornets. It matters if they're healthy for game one of the NBA playoffs and whoever they're facing. So that's where I stand with that. But, guys, thank you so much for coming on. I think we're getting close to that Colts pick. At this point, so we don't know who it is right now. If they trade it back, I have no clue. I haven't checked Twitter in a minute, but I want to say your support of this podcast means absolutely everything. We appreciate you guys so much. Follow us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find my co-host Mike Fachi at underscore facci. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. And if you have time, go over to Apple, give us a five star rating, let us know what you think of the show by leaving us a review, and I know Fachi won't be back for the weekend show, but I'll try to be back 
Sunday, Monday at some point to have some guests on, talk about the team. And hopefully I'm not reiterating everything I said here, but I think there's some good things to bounce off different people, kind of get their perspective on it. So, all right, everybody, we hope you all have a great weekend. Happy Friday to you. And thanks so much for supporting Setting the Pace. We'll talk to you later. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.